Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this latest episode in the Roundtable series. Today's session is called An Abundance of Managers and Too Few Leaders. Why? And if you read the pre-event, uh, the pre-recording bump that we issued, we said there's a difference between leadership and management. Leadership is of the spirit. Management is of the mind. Managers are necessary, but leaders are essential. We must find managers who are not only skilled organizers, but inspired and inspiring leaders. And that, of course, was a quote from Field Marshal Slim, um, who reported directly to um, Montgomery at El Alamein. And I think it's a very profound statement, which accurately describes in many ways the difference between management and leadership and the conundrum that is facing both today. So. My name is Jonathan Farrington. I'm, I'm the CEO of JF Initiatives, which is the parent company of Top Sales World, Top Sales Magazine, the Global Sales Directory and the Sales Futurist. I'm also the Director of Research for the Sandler Research Centre. So without further ado, may I introduce you to today's panellists. Deb Calvert is the President of People First Productivity Solutions, who build organisational strengths by putting people first. Deb's the author of Stop Selling and Start Leading and Discover Questions Get You Connected, which was one of the top 20 most highly rated sales books of all time, according to HubSpot. She's also been named one of the 65 most influential women in business by Treeline and the top 50 sales influencer. And she's the founder of the Sales Expert channel on Bright Talk, author of the award-winning blogs Connect to Sell, Connect to Lead and Connect to Win. Welcome, Debs. Um, our next panelist and guest is Kevin Eikenbury, who I've known for a very, very long time. Kevin is recognized world expert on leadership development and learning and is the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenbury Group. Uh, he spent more than 25 years helping organizations across North America and leaders from around the world on leadership, learning, teams and teamwork, communication and more. He was named by Inc.com as one of the top 100 leadership and management experts in the world and has been included in many other lists. He is the co-author of, or a contributing author, to nearly 20 books, including Remarkable Leadership and bestseller from Bud to Boss, Secrets of the Successful Transition to Remarkable Leadership. His latest book, co-authored with Wayne Tamell, The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership, was published in May 2018. And his blog consistently is ranked among the world's best and most read on leadership. Next, we have David Matson. David is a best-selling author. He's a sales and management thought leader. He's a keynote speaker, and he's a, the leader for sales and management training. As CEO and president of Sandler Training, David oversees the corporate direction of strategy for the company's global operations with focus on sales leadership, strategy, and client satisfaction. He's also written five books in his spare time, the latest of which are The Road to Excellence and The Success Cadence. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. <laughs> I think I, I, yeah, I apologize. We're delighted to have you, David. And finally, and certainly not last but not least, is the CEO of CoachQuest, Keith Rosen. Over three decades, Keith has delivered his transformational programs to hundreds of thousands of salespeople and managers in practically every industry on five continents and in over 70 countries. 
Keith has written several best-selling books, including Own Your Day and the globally acclaimed Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions, which was the winner of five international best book awards and the number one best-selling sales management coaching book on Amazon for the last seven consecutive years. His most recent book, Sales Leadership, The Essential Leadership Framework to Coach Sales Champions, Inspire Excellence and Exceed Your Business Goals, was named 2018 Top Sales Book of the Year. You don't do short titles for your books, Keith, do you? I'm doing my best, Jonathan. At least the last one only had two words in the title. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Welcome, by the way. Uh, deeply my pleasure to be present and engage with such a great group of people today. Yeah, it's a great group, isn't it? I'm really excited. Every single one of the panel is an expert on this topic. I know that's, you know, that's what we try to achieve for every roundtable. But sometimes, you know, we have multi-talented people that do lots of things. And I'm not suggesting this group isn't multi-talented, of course. But genuine leadership experts. And I think uh, it's going to be a very interesting debate. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to start off with a very, very easy question that I'm sure that some of you are asked almost every day. So, are leaders born or made? And it's a two-part question. Can anyone become a successful leader? Do you want to kick us off, Debs? I do. You know, scientifically, we know the answer to this question. It is proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, with absolutely no exceptions throughout all time, every single leader who has ever been or ever will be was, in fact, born. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Very but good. we also know, we do also know that every single leader had people who willingly chose to follow him or her because of the actions that they took. You mm. might have certain types of characteristics, but it's, it's really all about what you do with them. And the answer is yes, everybody does have within them the potential to lead. You can look at children in kindergarten, on the playground, and at different times, different. I think um, I think we've lost Debs. If you're still there, Debs, I think you've got a bad connection. Um, until you come back, we'll move on to Kevin. Kevin, your your thoughts on this, and 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 you shared with me actually before we started the recording that um, you are actually asked this question virtually every day. So, I am asked this, yeah, I'm asked this question a lot, and my answer is shorter. Um, the answer is yes. Leaders are born and made. Um, all of us are born with uh, a set of characteristics that could allow us to grow to be successful leaders. And yet at the end, as at the end of the day, as Deb said, it's actions that we take that, that lead to people wanting to follow us, which means that we must no one is no one is literally born a leader we are all born as deb said we're none of us are born a leader it's skills that we must develop and um can anyone uh, of sound mind and body become a highly effective leader yes if they're willing to do the work to get there so all i'm saying is yeah even as kindergartners to deb's point we can uh, we can exhibit those skills but to be really really good at it requires effort a discipline and a decision so if we're talking about traits then and characteristics are we saying then that we're all born with a cer certain set of personality traits and those personality traits make it easier for us to become a leader 
Are you staying with me? So I, I think the, yes, Kevin. Yes. I think the thing the thing is this: all of us are born with a unique set of of stuff DNA that makes us who we are, right? And because mm -hmm. there's no one perfect way to lead, um, it, it there are certain things that we might be we might have a proclivity to or some tendency to that may seem like it helps us in some parts of leadership, but we still have to develop those things. So we want to talk about personality traits or personality style. You know, the the question of do you have to be an extrovert to be an effective leader? The answer is no. But if I'm introverted and I want to be an effective leader, I need to know how to use my starting point strengths uh, and but not be locked into those things only. How do I become uh, effective in leading and communicating with everyone, regardless of my starting point and my initial traits? Sure, sure, absolutely. Deb's back. Hi, Deb. Hello, I'm back. And, uh, you know, the joys of technology. <laughs> Tell me about it. So, so we, I can't remember precisely where you got to, but but Kevin raised an interesting point, which I think you'll want to make a, a comment about. Do, do you believe that we're born with a set of personality traits rather than characteristics that lend themselves towards us and helping us to develop into, um, you know, competent leaders? I do think everyone has certain traits and characteristics that are their own strengths. And it's not that only certain strengths enable you to be a leader. Leadership is not an exclusive domain for only a select few. But as I heard Kevin saying there at the end, it, it's about how we learn to and choose to use our strengths, whatever they might be. All of us have strengths that do equip us in different ways to be leaders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I also picked up on Kevin's comment about, you know, kindergarten. I mean, uh, maybe it was you, Deb, that suggested that you can identify potential leaders even at kindergarten stage. And I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I had my first leadership role, call it, and I put that in inverted commas, when I was eight. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it can be obvious to people, I think. Keith's asking to come in, and Keith, I really want to sort of focus on this question. Do you think leaders are born or made? And, and, and specifically, do you think anyone can become uh, a successful leader? Now, I know that you've developed and have developed thousands, literally thousands and thousands of managers. Out of interest, what percentage of those do you think have the capability or had the capability of developing into genuine leaders? Well, first, Dave, just to get the numbers right, I think we're up to about 570,000 managers and salespeople globally. Uh, and oh, just so you know, I also hit my sixth continent last week in Australia. So one more to go. Uh, let, let's, uh, let me just laser into this question real quick so we can get to the good stuff and give these listeners some more meat and strategies so they can achieve more. Are there natural born leaders? No. Are there people born with certain competencies and characteristics? Absolutely, that would lend themselves to great leadership. Uh, at that point, what else do they need? They need a certain level of intelligence, awareness, company, um, I, IQ, EQ. Now, with all those things, it can mean absolutely nothing because I know great leaders that have the antithesis of all those things and still are fantastic leaders, build organizations that are truly people-centric and are focused on making their people more valuable. So uh, that's all I got for you, my friend. <laughs> well, that was quite a lot in about 17 nanoseconds. Thank you very much. Have you, is there any chance you can move from 78 RPM down to a sort of more manageable 45 RPM? Okay, so the European pace, you got it, my friend. <laughs> David, 
Uh, do you want to come in on this one? What What do you think? I mean, I know you've personally developed and, and, and you've managed and you've led thousands of um, potential leaders. Um, maybe some of them, or most of them are still managers. Do you think that, do you think a successful um, or potentially successful leader is born or made? Yeah, I think I agree with everyone. I think they're made. Um, I don't mm. think my parents, as an example, who were teachers, you know, as I came into the world and then we're in the hospital, my dad said, oh, my gosh, here's a salesperson. You know, I don't I don't think that happened. I think most of us have found ourselves in our career by happenstance. Right. I mean, I have five kids and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with them as an example of, hey, I don't know what I want to do. So if we were born into a role, we wouldn't be having those conversations. I, I mean, to me, I think it takes three things. And I agree we have certain traits. Um, I'm introverted by nature if I take the, you know, all the personality profiles, but I think if it's energy, commitment, and knowledge to me. Um, mm. So those who think I don't have what it takes to be a leader, I just think you do. It's going to take potentially some more energy on your part, right? So I speak for a living. Yes, I'm introverted. It just takes more energy. It doesn't mean I can't do it. It takes energy. I think commitment, you're going to have to keep at it. It's going to be super uncomfortable occasionally because you're out of your comfort zones doing certain things that you're required to do. Um, you're going to have to, you know, check your ego off to the side as you're going through that. And knowledge, what does it actually take? Where, you know, what's the road that I'm taking to become a great leader? What does that look like and how do I get there? And I think if we're equipped with those three things, in addition to everything that's been said, I think that we can create our own future. I think that's I think that's very profound and very very true. I think if my mother had identified an early age that I wanted to be a salesman and mentioned it to my father, certainly he'd have been scuttling off trying to find his crucifix. <laughs> uh, I've got no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, thinking about today. And today's topic, why do we think there's such a shortage of genuine leaders today, David? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, if we look at the the triangle, right, there's less leaders than there are managers and, of course, the rest of the organization. So if we look at the hierarchy. I think that most of the managers who are, you know, we've talked about this, but certainly, you know, task oriented, they're the ones to making sure that the machine is up and running. Um, certainly wanna make sure that those results were there. They're very action oriented. And I think as you go into leadership, when I move from action orientation to visionary, it's very difficult because they have been successful as managers, you know, so they've been now selected or they say, listen, I, I can be the leader. People are agreeing to that. So certainly they've had some of those characteristics as, as uh, managers, certainly. Um, but they have to change the way they've done it. It's like the transition between sales and sales leadership. That's a, that is a transition that can be made. It's hard for some. And I think the same transition from managers to leaders is difficult because everything, not everything, lots of things that they did to make them successful as good, let's say sales leaders as an example, is not necessarily what it's gonna take to be a great leader. And so I think that's, Probably, it. and I don't think there's a very good roadmap that organizations provide for sales leadership. And we've talked about that. I think the state of sales leadership is dismal. And I think there's no great roadmap except for my, my colleagues here who help leaders become great um, to become. What does that actually take? You know, there's no, there's no roadmap a lot of times. So they figure out on their own. And most of the time, there's a lot of floating bodies along the way as we're trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm going to come back to that point, you know, why do managers find making the step up to leadership so difficult? <clears throat> because I think it's important that, you know, we, we understand it and we share our views. Um, <clears throat> just before I come on to you, Keith, Deb, you'd like to come in on this point. I would like to come in on this one. Uh, I think that there is a shortage of genuine leaders today, partly because we're operating against all the mythology about what leadership is and, and what it isn't. As you said earlier, so many people believe they can't be leaders because they don't have some certain select natural born characteristics. And then we think that leaders are, that it's a, something of, of title and it's reserved for only the people at the top of the org chart. And so we wait around for titles and expect that title to suddenly imbue us with those certain characteristics or we misunderstand the difference between authority and, and thinking of leadership as command and control versus heart and soul. So the difficulty and part of the reason for the shortage is that we aren't liberating the leaders inside all of us. We're not given the permission, the encouragement, Certainly not the, the training and the roadmap, as Dave mentioned. There is one. There are evidence-based behaviors that make people into leaders, just choices that they have to make. And there are opportunities, but people often fail to recognize them or fail to act on them because they don't feel like it's their place to do that. So there's a suppression of genuine leadership. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I take the point, Deb. I agree with you. There is a suppression, but is there also, is there also, organisationally an unwillingness to identify potential leaders and develop them, simply because the people at the top of the organisation don't have the vision to to make to make you know to spot them in the first place. I mean, th th there's a lot of that, isn't there? Absolutely. It, it comes down to people just don't know what they don't know. They don't know at the top of an organization in those formal roles of leadership, for example, that uh, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, good leaders cause people to have confidence in the leader, but great leaders cause people to have confidence of, in themselves and to become leaders in their own right. And yeah. it's a missed opportunity when that happens. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do agree with you. Great leaders develop leaders. It's as simple as that. Yes. And, and they understand that every great leader served an apprenticeship of some type or other. Anyway, Keith, you'd like to come in on this. Thank you. And then, to, Kevin, and then I'll Kevin. Try, I'll try to temper my passion. Uh, recently, <laughs> just, just saw a statistic by Gartner. One out of every 10 managers are actually equipped and know how to actually lead and manage people. Forget about even coaching. And at the same time, we wonder why that there's a 72% level of disengagement in the workforce. It's pretty easy to connect the dots on that. So is there a shortage of leaders out there? There are actually lots of managers, just not a lot of great leaders and certainly not a lot of great coaches. Uh, why? Because the secret is very simple. Poor leaders are a result of they're not coaching. They don't know how to coach. They coach poorly. They're not coaching consistently and they're not building the trust that's required to develop a coaching culture. And now compound that with companies with their corporate egos that fear to look under the hood to see what the problems are, especially when they're do being successful in spite of themselves. So these are the things that are getting in the way. Now throw on top of that, that listen, 
This is a reason why I connect with managers and salespeople very well. I'm type A too. And because of that, they're very reluctant to let go. You're dealing with control freak perfectionists. I raise my hand, I'm a recovering perfectionist. It's scary for leaders to let go because that's what coaching is all about, is letting your people do their job. After all, that's why you hired them. Mm. Yeah, 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 no, I agree. I think Gartner's, uh, Gartner produced wonderful research. I think that that piece of research was optimistic. My view is it's much less than that. It's not 10%, it's 6%, but, but we, can argue over, we can argue over 4%. And you, should, you know this only too well. You're out there in the field. You know, you, you know what percentage of frontline sales managers are fully equipped, have got the appropriate experience and the wherewithal to lead a successful sales team. Uh, and it's, it's certainly way lower than 10%, but we'll come back to that. Kevin, I, you'd like to... Sorry, Jim. Just want to say one other thing on that. And to, to jump on another statistic, given my 30 years, I will say that uh, out of the organizations out there that think they have a coaching culture, there's only about 1% of companies globally that actually have a true, authentic, high-performance coaching culture. And we can come back to that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. And I'd say this to all of you, apart from David, who already knows that uh, we're releasing uh, an abbreviated version of Sandler's Sandler Research Center's inaugural um, uh, report next week from our first survey. And uh, there's some big surprises in there. I think everybody needs to make sure they get their hands on that. Kevin, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I'll just add one thing to all of the really, really smart and things that I've heard that I agree with. And that is that um, one of our clients is NASA. And so if you ask NASA leaders, uh, which is harder, building a rocket or leading people, they all say leading people is harder. I mean, after all, we've been building rockets for 60 years. I tell them it's like a recipe at this point. We know how to do it. Point is that managing and being an individual contributor, for that matter, are about uh, proven, specific things that we are pretty much known. <clears throat> we know how to, and there are fewer degrees of freedom to become an effective manager. But when we talk about leadership in the ways that we're talking about today, we're talking about the inherent complexities of people. And so the reality is that uh, the other reason that we have this gap is it's exceedingly complex to do the stuff we're talking about today. So I'll just simplify it down and say one of the reasons it's not happening is it's super complex to get there. We have to do the things we've been talking about in order for people to move there. And the second thing is back to the earlier point that you asked Deb about um, why senior leaders aren't necessarily working on this and thinking about this. A lot of times it's a blind spot for them However good they are, they've gotten there. So they figure if they figured it out, others will too. And so they, they unless they're extraordinarily self-aware or have had a lot of coaching to Keith's point along the way, they're probably, it's a blind spot for them to realize that that's what they ought to be thinking about. They feel like I figured it out, others will too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that to an extent, Kevin, and, and, and I'm sure it's I'm sure you're right because you're developing leaders every single day of the week. Um, do, but do leaders figure it out for themselves? I mean, does it does that still happen? I mean, I know I had to because no one was investing in my leadership skills. I had to figure it out. And goodness sake, I mean, how many mistakes do you make along the way? And it needn't have been like that. Because I think every successful leader serves an apprenticeship, don't they? I touched on this earlier. 
and and surely leaders must know well look i i went through an apprenticeship or i made these mistakes i can help this person become a better leader or a more effective leader earlier than than would normally be expected if we invest in them surely well i think there's two parts to that one is yeah sh should we be investing i mean organizationally, should we be doing the things we're talking about today? Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons it's not happening is, is the things we've already said. Uh, to Keith's point about coaching and having a coach, and to your point about, uh, about serving as apprenticeship, I think, can people become leaders without that? Yeah. Can they get there as quickly and go as far and become as effective as they're capable or, were, or, or could be? No, uh, we can't get there alone because lots of research would tell us and our personal experience would tell us that human beings are not very self-aware. And so one of the great things that coaching brings to us is a perspective that we cannot have for ourselves. And just one of the things coaching does for us. And so, you know, I would say this, if you are listening because you are a senior leader in an organization, you need to be thinking about this and getting serious about how you're going to invest in your folks. But if you're a leader listening or a manager listening or a someone who wants to be a leader someday, don't just wait for the organization to invest in you because you own this too and, and don't just only wait. I think that's a I think that's an excellent point, there, um, Kevin. I think that you can't you know potential leaders can't sit around. I mean yes they have every right to expect help. Um, but they can't sit around waiting for someone else to make them successful because those people they're waiting for uh, are too busy making themselves successful. That's the reality, isn't it? Um, Deb, you wanted to come in. I, yes, Jonathan, I, I just shuddered when I heard you say that people should figure it out for themselves. Yes, mm. that happens, but at what cost? I know mm. when I was a first time manager with no training at all and left my own devices to figure it out, I didn't do a very good job. And I learned, but I learned on those uh, people who reported to me who were forced into a role that they didn't want of being the guinea pigs, the ones who I hurt along the way to figuring it out. So organizations who want to have high levels of engagement and retention of their employees, they don't put their managers and leaders into a position of figuring it out for themselves because the cost can be significant. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the casualty list is can be extensive. I, I totally agree with you. So are you agreeing with me, Deb, that industry is not investing enough back into the leadership function? Absolutely. We know from the Human Capital Institute and elsewhere that the number one concern among CEOs and senior executives in HR is this, the lack of leadership development. It's on everyone's mind. And what that means is that if you're not doing it inside your organization, you're also going to have a hard time recruiting it from out elsewhere because nobody's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, I'm going to come on over to Keith in a moment. David, can I bring you in? I, you, you get around, and, and you, Sandler is such a huge organisation, and it's full of leaders and potential leaders, and probably overstocked with managers. Do you think that industry is investing enough? Surely we could do a lot more, can't we? Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think we're investing enough in any parts of the organization. I mean, certainly operational, but we know from a sales perspective, you know, salespeople are probably 
you know, not getting enough training. If I go up a little bit, sales leaders get less training than that because we expect as an organization that they're going to replicate the success of a salesperson into sales leadership. And I think that same philosophy, regardless if it's in sales leadership from to a leadership position or anywhere in the organization, that same philosophy holds true. You're going to take your life's experience, your corporate experience, and you're going to continue to do what you do, even if you're job has changed. So I think that it's uh, dramatically underfunded. And, you know, and the biggest challenge, as Deb said as well, is, you know, if you talk to CEOs, uh, one of the big things that's on the radar screen is, how am I going to develop my bench? You know, I've got a, an exorbitant amount of leadership uh, managers leaving in the next five to seven years or having the opportunity. And I'm, they're always focused on engagement and how am I building the future bench? which is interesting because yet there's not a formalized program in place for them to do that. They know it's an issue, uh, but we're not getting anything done about it. So I, I think that's the, the never ending cycle that they go through. I think that's, that's such a valid point. And I love the expression bench. Um, being a sports fanatic, I can identify with it immediately. Um, I'm going to bring Kevin in. He's got a, a view about the investment piece, but I must bring Keith in. He's been waiting patiently. Keith. It's the joy of being a coach, Jonathan. Patience is, of course, foundational. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, and just piggybacking on all these great points, uh, one recent data point I saw was that uh, uh, the majority of, uh, of companies are spending uh, less than $1,000 per employee per year on their own professional development. So, mm -hmm. you know, to me, I think there's one word that defines that, which is sad. Uh, and, and I think building off uh, to Kevin's point, it's not that they have to figure out themselves, they have to go out and get a coach. They have to find someone who can mentor and coach them to develop the skills they need so they can map out that path uh, of success and development on their own because the greatest leaders take their own professional development uh, into account for themselves. They don't rely on other people to do it. Now, if companies are doing it, that's just an added value. So, and, and you, if you wanna know whether managers can lead or not, and to me, coaching and leadership is synonymous. To me, coaching is the, is the language of leadership. Uh, put, a, put a room of managers, uh, take, a, take managers, put them in a room, ask them to facilitate a conversation with a peer for five minutes using just open-ended, non-loaded questions, and you will quickly see how practically every manager on this planet who thinks they know how to coach doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Kevin. So I want to take a slightly different take on the question about uh, investing in developing our leaders. And that is that, uh, yeah, I've, I've read the same sorts of things and our experience says that that thousand dollars a year per person number that Keith quotes is probably a pretty good number of what's actually happening. And I agree it's sad, but in part, you all are listening, you all know you're listening to the choir. Like all of us would of course think that we ought to be, people ought to be investing more in leadership development, but I'm gonna take a different slice on that. And that is that I think that the lion's share of what is being invested is being squandered. Mm -hmm. If we look at the return on investment that's happening for across uh, the world in terms of leadership development, I mean, more things are being written, more programs are being provided, and yet we're one of the reasons for the cynicism, one of the reasons why organizations are giving up is that, man, we try stuff and we don't get the return we'd like to get. I think that it's the, it's this uh, topic for a whole other roundtable down the road, 
uh, Jonathan, but the challenge is how do we make sure that we're equipping the leaders and the organizations to get the real value of and deliver leadership development, including coaching, to make sure that we really get the return on whatever it is that we invest. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think <clears throat> from my perspective, what, what I notice when I'm out there is that far too many organizations, and whether that's the SME sector, whether that's mid-market, whether that's you know, right at the top end, um, believe that any development, any coaching, any training is a one-off event, rather like a driving license. Go and take it, go on a three-day course, that's it. You've got all the skills that you need now forever. And, and they're not buying into the fact. I mean, many, many companies are, don't get me wrong, but far too many are not buying into the fact that any development, any coaching, any mentoring, needs to be ongoing it simply has to be specifically because skills get rusty um, times change we've seen more changes particularly in the sales space in the last five years than we saw in the previous 50. so so you know those skills that you need to pass your driving test when you're 18 do not necessarily stand you in good stead when you get to 50 because cars are faster people are less considerate etc 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 but that's you know it's another topic. Uh, Deb, in your view, how has the leadership role changed over the past few years? In light of my comment just now that everything has changed so dramatically in the past five years compared with the previous 50, does that actually apply also to the, the leadership role, do you, do you believe? I, I do believe that's the case. And some of this is driven by millennials, and not just millennials, but uh, what we stereotype about them, there is some demand. And millennials, and it filters out elsewhere, tend to leave organizations where they don't feel that they're being supported and developed specifically as leaders. So the result of this has been some attempts at distributed leadership and, and team leadership without the formal direct report structure that we associate with management. And there is some momentum around a movement to allow for leadership at every level. Practically speaking, I don't believe that's come into its own yet. I think that it is still more conceptual and perhaps poorly executed, but I'm glad to see that there is some movement toward that, that there's some ennoblement of the idea of helping people to think of themselves as leaders no matter what their, their level and to not give them authority, but to dignify the fact that they do have influence. So that shift is in its nascent stages, but I do think we're beginning to see it happen. Sure, 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 absolutely. Kevin, you've got an analogy. I just want to make your, back to your comment about people thinking about leadership development as an event, as, a, as opposed to a process. All of us listening know someone either took or know someone who took piano lessons and it was never expected to take a three-day piano workshop and become an effective piano player and yet we all know that piano lessons means ongoing and no doubt that being an effective leader is far more complex than playing the piano and so to think that one can be done the more complex one can be done in a three-day workshop or in a um, a lunch and learn a week or a read a book a year uh, is just silly it's just Silly. <laughs> Just silly. <laughs> We're not going to tolerate it, are we? <laughs> Keith, what do you think? 
I think he's on mute. Oh, I am here. Hey. Fully present. Uh, I was fully engaged in listening to all these great comments, and I want to go back to Kevin's point because uh, uh, it's we can't step over it. Uh, it. The ROI of training, most training, quite frankly, is a waste. Uh, and I don't want to echo again what everyone is saying and be redundant, but the point I want to make is, is it's, it's also the companies are going out there finding the wrong solutions because they don't know how to look for the right ones. So they're interviewing vendors and the vendors are telling them what they think they should need. You have companies out there that they have no idea what coaching is. So how are they even assessing how to find the right vendor or the right coaching program or the right coaching framework that's going to help their sales leaders and sales champions accelerate success. So where, where I see the, the challenge is, is we need to even take a step before that. And one of the things that I spend time on here is, okay, wait, before we can even talk about bringing in leadership training or developing your managers, is your organization even culturally ready to make this fundamental transformation because most organizations, if not anyone, after all, every organization has a sales target on their back, they're result driven. Well, if they're result driven, that you cannot coach if you're result driven. So that's a shift in culture to become more process driven and focusing on processes, which is the mindset of coaching to coach the who, to coach the how, to coach the why, rather than keep driving for results. And that's why I was saying earlier, you put managers in a room and ask them to facilitate a conversation for five minutes with open-ended questions. They can't do it because the first thing they react with is Keith. I had one question. First of all, it was a loaded question and I had to give him the answer right away. It takes such a shift in their thinking as well as for the organization to really to realize that, to give it the time that's really required to make that transformation of an organization. After all, it's often like turning a battleship. It takes some time. Mm, 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 yeah. David, coming over to you, I mean, have you seen the leadership role change dramatically over the last five years, particularly when you look back with all of your experience over the previous 20, 25 years of your career? Well, I mean, if we look at leaders, I mean, we haven't talked about the trades, but if you, if we can at least partially agree that what are they doing? Well, they're going to be painting the picture of the future, right? We're going to be communicating, communicating, communicating. Uh, we're focused on, you know, a couple big things. We're trying to create self-sufficiency and really trust others to do their part. And as Keith said, and as others, certainly coaching. And we're influencing. So has that really changed? I don't think so. I think partially, you know, as the economy kind of kind of put a thing, sure. Um, but it's how we do those things now through either technology, how we communicate, how we leverage those things. But I think the guts haven't really changed. It's it's how we're doing that and how we're leveraging the things that are available to us today as leaders ha has changed. Um, now, are there nuances and we can say, hey, listen, uh, trait number three has changed? Sure, that, that's true. But if you strip it all back, I think you know, leadership in its basic thing is, has not changed. It's just how we're going about it. Yeah, I, I, I guess for me, the one change that I have noticed that really stands out for me is that we appear, certainly over the last five years, to have moved away from the, the Lone Ranger style of leadership. And leadership now is more group-based Consensus, uh, right? Yeah. 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 Consensus. I mean, I, I, I hate I hate situations where decisions are made by committee. 
I, I don't mean that. I, but 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 I do think that it's it's more embracing now. Um, you know, I think groups of leaders get together and discuss and take decisions, and the autocratic leader appears to be less common. Is that your experience, Deb? Yes, absolutely. That is um, something that, that I think is happening as I described distributed leadership and, and team leads. And if we think even in the sales world, we know that there are more buyers involved in any decision. Some of those numbers that are out there, like 5.7 decision makers, that, that may or may not be the case, but certainly it is more by committee than it used to be. Decision making is shared. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. Okay, well, look, we're winding down to the last five minutes. I'd like you all to think about three characteristics that you most admire in leaders or the, or the best leaders that you've ever worked for or have known or even in yourself. And we'll leave the audience with those with those thoughts. You, you probably ought to write down four or five or type in four or five because uh, I'm sure other members of the panel will probably copy you. I'm going to kick you off with one. And that is enthusiasm. I don't think you can be a successful leader if you're not enthusiastic about your organization, the people that report to you, the people that report to them, your products, your solutions, your marketplace. And I, I, think, that, I think that enthusiasm within an organization permeates down. It certainly doesn't permeate upwards. And when I look at the leaders of the Times top 100 best companies to work for, I readily identify in most of them, they have that, you know, they have that enthusiasm. Um, and, and I guess the enthusiasm means that they're prepared to embrace the skills and the characteristics that they're going to need to become even more successful. So I, who wants to start me off? Do you want to start off, Keith? Absolutely. The primary objective of leadership is very simple. It's to make your people more valuable. So the question that managers wake up and they ask themselves, it's the wrong question. Every manager wakes up and asks themselves, how am I going to achieve my business objectives today? <coughs> That's yeah. the wrong question. The right question is, what can I do today to make my people more valuable than they were yesterday? Yeah. That's the primary objective of leadership. And if we look at how fast technology is moving business forward, the technology of developing people, it's not keeping up. And if the primary objective of, of leadership is to develop the future leaders of the organization, th there's the broken model that's a global conundrum, which is take the best salesperson, promote them into leadership, know they're not gonna be trained how to be a leader. So what happens? These, the, the manager, they know how to sell. So every single time one of their direct reports comes to them, what do they do? They act as the quintessential chief problem solver and solve all their people's problems because they don't know another way, which is coaching. Now take the, here's some background noise back there. Now take, take, take the scenario where uh, which is the future of selling, is developing salespeople into coaches so they can truly coach their customers to succeed. Now, think of the added benefit of this. When companies, companies truly want to shift a culture, if you're developing your salespeople into coaches and the managers are also transforming into world-class coaches, now you have the managers coaching their salespeople, you have the salespeople coaching up to their managers, you have the salespeople coaching their customers, well guess what? Now when that salesperson gets promoted, they already have the acumen, the mindset, and the skill set 
to start developing the future leaders on their team. So mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that would be my final point to share with everyone. Very, very good. I heard the back, background noise too. You're not on your mobile underneath Brooklyn Bridge, are you? Me, no. I am, uh, oh. I'm in my uh, back cave. <laughs> David, getting back to the point of characteristics of great leaders that you admire, have you got three for us? Sure. Self-awareness, uh, visionary, one. Good one. Yeah. And painting the picture of the vision along with some roadmap. And I think uh, creating self-sufficiency, helping people become what they, they should be or can be and helping them be successful. Those would be my three big ones. Developing others. Absolutely. And creating the vision. And of course, hand in hand goes with that, uh, of course, is being able to share that vision and to sell it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've got to communicate it. Otherwise, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of great ideas, but if they don't come out and I don't continue to reinforce it and communicate in a lot of different modalities, then they just sit there as a, you know, and this too shall pass. We've all had those that leaders have rolled out because they've got a great genius attack. They go to the next thing and they're not really focusing on how do I actually help make sure that the organization has implemented what we've already talked about. I can't tell you how many organizations we're in front of and you know, they have 16 different operations. They have names to it. So they think that's going to create stickiness. And the employees have learned, just keep your head down low enough. And, you know, for six months and it'll go away because we're going to be onto something else now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kevin, I'll bring you in because I know that you've got a hot date at uh, 10 minutes to the hour. So your characteristics of, of the leaders that you admire, the greatest characteristics. I'll give you three. The greatest learner, the greatest leaders are learners both for their own development and as the model for their teams. Uh, if we're gonna coach others, we've got to be encouraging them to be learners and the best way to do that is to be doing it ourselves. Another one is that the greatest leaders have a strong values foundation that they lead from and they create clarity for their organizations through those values. And lastly, to add to what both Keith and Dave have said, and that is that the greatest leaders are always other focused. They're not focused on themselves, they're focused on others in terms of how to communicate more effectively, to Dave's point, getting our message received, and to coach others and help them develop, to Keith's point. So uh, yeah. a learner, a values foundation, and being other-focused. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Thanks for that. Deb, come in. Yes, we know from research the characteristics of admired leaders in the leadership challenge research hasn't changed. They ask this question over and over and over again. And in 30 years, the top four characteristics people report they would like to see in, a, in leaders they admire or will follow are that they are honest, competent, inspiring, and forward-looking. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, you posed the question about what would I choose in a leader and maybe all that, but also uh, humility in the way that Kevin describes it, the humility to be okay with being wrong, with taking some risks, with admitting when those risks haven't paid off and being willing to, to learn and grow from them. I'm glad you, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm glad you mentioned inspiration, um, Deb, because I think being an inspiring leader is so, so critical. And I also take up your point about arrogance and probably the most obvious example in recent history of a leader that um, allowed herself to read her own, believe her own press was Margaret Thatcher. And, you know, mm. I, I remember somebody writing at the time Somebody should have whispered in her ear, look, listen, my dear, when arrogance strides in purposely, trampling all before them, 
success will eventually quietly slip out the back door. And that's certainly the case, isn't it? Okay, Keith, you've got 15 seconds. You know that's dangerous to give me, Jonathan, because I could just laser, <laughs> laser speak, but uh, just to respect everyone's time, uh, I'm actually going to answer the question you actually asked me this time. Uh, mm. The greatest leaders to encapsulate what everyone shared are coachable. Yeah. And the greatest leaders also create a vision, not just for their organization, but for their teams. And they hold that vision for their teams and they allow their teams to collaborate and create that team vision so that they can now have a unified goal and a shared vision that everyone now is focused on. Mm. And I can, I, there are too many stories to share when uh, I've had um, regional managers do that, district managers do that just for their teams. And they would literally go from the bottom five to the, to the number one spot uh, in, in the country. So, those to me are the things that uh, really make the impact when you're really focusing on the people and not just the what, but who they are and, and what they want. And that's their opportunity to help them realize their dreams. So just wanted to make sure I left that final thought and just come uh, really contribute to what everyone else shared before we wrapped up. Okay. Thank you, Kale. Excellent. All right. Well, we've reached the witching hour. Um, and I know all of the panel are incredibly busy and I'm really grateful that you were able to allocate time to creating yet another really interesting and I'm sure successful uh, roundtable and I hope you will all come back. So to my guests Deb Calvert, Kevin Eikenbury, David Matson, and Keith Rosen a big big thank you and I've absolutely no doubt uh, that the listeners will want to learn more about all of you um, and the easiest way to do that is to go to the Sales Futurist because every member of this panel is on the Sales Futurist team. It's www.thesalesfuturists.com. And there you can read so much more about each of them. I hope you're enjoying this roundtable series. It's lively, it's got vitality, it's different. We're tackling, well, we're certainly trying. Our ambition is to tackle the issues that really, really matter today. And you won't hear us talking about cold calling or prospect attraction or closing skills. What we really want to discuss are the issues that are of interest and that are challenging for Sea Lounge residents. And that's hopefully what we're trying to do. So thank you for joining us. Um, this is Jonathan Farrington, and uh, I look forward very much to welcoming you back to the very, very next roundtable. And of course, these are four weekly events. All right. Thanks very much. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.